Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we bow our heads in prayer because we want to acknowledge that you are the only God, that there are none like you, there are none that are even worthy of being compared to you. Lord, you have given us so much. And we want to offer the songs that we sing as an offering of praise to your holy name. We ask that you would help us to sing in a way that from the heart that would make them worthy of your praise and your glory. Lord, we ask you to be with this special music that it would touch our hearts and bend them, incline them more toward your word and your way. Lord, I pray for the preaching this morning that I'd be able to simply and honestly and completely communicate the message that is in God's word. Lord, one that we know, but one that we need to hear again. Lord, when it comes to the time of invitation, that we would not harden our hearts to the leading of the Spirit. And Lord, that we would surrender ourselves anew and afresh and commit ourselves to your service through this coming week. We pray for the offering, Lord, that as we give just a portion of what you've given unto us, that you would be honored and glorified in it, that you would multiply it for your use. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we ask that you would use us to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next hymn. Of Second Peter. Second Peter. And we're going to concentrate on just a few verses out of this first chapter of Second Peter, starting in verse 12. It says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance." Now, this year we've not made a big deal of that, but how many know what Sunday this is? Just a few. This is our church's anniversary. We are 21 years old today. Now, last year, our 20th anniversary, we did a lot of things. We had uh, the privilege of being able to have Brother Clayton and Brother Marshall in at the same time. You know what? That's exactly what we did 21 years ago. When the church was started and last year they were able to be with us and, and uh, that was really our big meeting for the whole year. But uh, this year we have our regular missions conference the first week in November and I'm looking forward to that. And uh, while we're having our missions conference, we're also inviting preachers from all over the area to come in and have a, a fellowship meeting with, uh, we call it the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. And uh, what a fellowship is, is just a group of churches that believe the same thing and they fellowship together. Somebody said, what is fellowship? Well, it's real easy. It's two fellows in a ship. Uh, you, 
You've got to be together. You talk together. That's what it is. You know, I've been to some meetings that were called that. Uh, I, I never will forget one that I went to. And, and the preacher had warned me. He says, you just wait until you be, you've never been at a meeting like this. And he was not being positive, And he was surely understating the, uh, uh, the thing there. Uh, and you know what? That doesn't build you in the faith. That doesn't help you. And what what churches are supposed to do is encourage each other. But I'm glad that there's no grand poobah, that there's no general council of reigning uh, elite, uh, uh, that there's no such thing as a Baptist pope. I'm glad that these things are true because that gives each one of us the same exact responsibility in each one of our churches, a responsibility to stay true to the word of God. And so when you have a birthday, what do you do? You remember things. Uh, I've got a screensaver on, uh, on the computer there, and when I leave it sit too long, it goes into the picture files and just starts randomly accessing pictures. And uh, last year we went through and scanned a whole bunch of... How many people remember what a photograph actually is? Uh, uh, I mean, the digital age, everything is there. And so we scanned all these old photographs and everything for the uh, presentation we did with the history. And so I'm sitting there looking at the screen, and all of a sudden, here comes this young, skinny fellow holding this little baby. And I'm saying, who is that? Well, that was me 20 years ago. And uh, now I'm just an old fat man still holding little babies. Amen. And uh, went into the nursery this morning. We had a few criers in there. And, and uh, Grandma and Grandpa Montoro got all the little ones. I said, boy, this is like having 20 grandkids all at the same time. Uh, this is pretty cool in the church nursery. And uh, it was a good time. And, and, but the simple thing is what we do. We remember things. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a biblical thing. Peter is writing. This is the last of his letters personally writing to the Christians uh, that were there. And in these four verses here, 12, 13, 14, and 15, he says several times, I want to put you in remembrance. I want to remind you about some things. Now, a few months ago, preached a sermon that uh, your rememberer is not as good as you think it is. In fact, your mind is success, uh, susceptible to remembering things that never really happened. And uh, that's not the point of this morning's message. The point of this morning's message is, Peter says in verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Now, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, you go over and start in verse 1. Again, the Bible is always its own best commentary. And uh, um, yesterday at our men's prayer breakfast, we just lightly reviewed uh, a few of these things that Peter talked about. But he says in verse 3 that his divine power, God's divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him 
that the answer is, the problem is we need to get to know Jesus better. Now let me illustrate that. How many of you in here today are married? Okay, marriage is a wonderful thing. Should be a wonderful thing. Amen? Amen. Somebody asked a, a preacher, a, a preacher was talking one time and he says, how many years of wedded bliss has it been, Joe? And he said, oh, about 15. He says, but you've been married longer than that, haven't you? He said, well, you ask how many were wedded bliss. And uh, that's not a good place to be. But, you know, one of the things that will keep a marriage the way it ought to be is getting to know your spouse better. You know what? You can spend your whole life with a person and never really know them if you're not careful. We live in New York City. It is the biggest collection of strangers on the planet of the earth, is it not? I mean, we see people walking down the street. We say hi to them. We see them every day. We don't even know their name. Listen, if you're going to have a relationship, you're going to have to review things. You're going to have to remember things. In fact, if you're not careful, what's going to happen is you're going to start remembering things a little different than the way they happened, and you're going to move from where you started. In fact, that's what Peter is talking about here. He says in verse 12, he says, I'm not going to be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. He says, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you need to get to know Jesus better. You know that you need to go through and add to your faith. There are things God saved you, but he expects you to do some things. If you're going to maintain that relationship, you're going to have to add to your faith virtue. Boy, that's a word that's forgotten today, is it not? Virtue. Wish I had time to preach on this. I mean, that is... A powerful purity is virtue. It's not just clean. It's not just pure. It's a purity that reaches out and changes things. You know, that's something that used to be a part of American society. That's something that used to be one of the defining marks of true Christianity. Why have we lost it? Because even though we know these things and are established in them, if we don't take time to remember them and go over them, what happens is we get comfortable with truth. What is the statement everybody uses? You're not supposed to use cliches in sermons, but familiarity breeds what? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know what? Sometimes you can get so familiar with the scriptures that what you say is, oh, that's just Bible. Oh, wait a minute. Did you hear what you said? In fact, how many of you have studied the story of Jesus? We're going, we've just 
We're finishing up the book of Acts now, but in our Sunday school time we went through and one of the themes of the life of Jesus was the arguments and the strife between Jesus and the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. What was going on? Well, the problem was they had gotten so familiar with the Bible that they said, you know, our job is not just to keep the scriptures, it's to protect the scriptures. And they begin developing all of these little rules and regulations that would help them protect the scriptures. Now, let me just make a statement here. If this is God's word, then he'll protect it. He doesn't need your help. Because when you stop obeying the scriptures and start protecting them, did you get what I just said? You see, you don't need to protect God's word. God's word will protect you. But if you don't stir, if you don't remember these things, even though you're established in this truth, you're built up in this truth. If I were to ask anybody that's been attending this church any period of time, do you know for sure you're saved? How many of you'd be able to say, "Yeah, I know for sure I'm saved," and I'd say, "How can you prove to me that you know for sure you're saved?" What would the answer be? Well, pastor, I did what the Bible said. How many of you remember the joy in your heart the day you got saved? How easy is it to get caught up in just living and forget about what Jesus did when he saved us? You see, even though we're established in this truth, never get tired of truth. If you do, you're going to begin to embrace error. This is what's happened in our education system. We've gotten so tired of 2 plus 2 equals 4 that it doesn't matter anymore. Well, wait a minute. If, if it doesn't matter, maybe that's where the Congressional Budget Office gets its <laughs> mathematics from. I don't know. Because if 2 plus 2 doesn't matter anymore, well, then maybe 22 trillion plus 22 trillion doesn't matter anymore either. You see, it's the little things that determine the great things, not the other way around. And Peter is saying, listen, I know you know these things. But I'm going to remind you anyway, I know that your very life, that's what the word established means. It means to be built upon. He says, I know that you're built up in these truths. But see, we have people that are so familiar with the word of God that they're looking for hidden meanings and mystical messages in the word of God. Well, last time I checked, go through this list of things here that Peter said that we need to add to our faith. It's virtue, knowledge, uh, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Now, that's a list of things, is it not? 
Would there be one person in this auditorium that would dare stand up and say, you know what, I measure up in all of those things. I mean, my life is virtuous. My knowledge is, is complete of the word of God. I'm, I am truly patient. Liar. There's no such thing as a truly patient person. You know what patience is? Patience is what you ask of others that you refuse to give anyone else. Isn't that a good definition of patience? But the Bible says we're supposed to have patience. That means we're supposed to put up with others. We're supposed to be willing. That's in this list. And by the time you get to patience, then you get to godliness. And then comes brotherly kindness. You know what? People like to start with brotherly kindness and charity which are the last two things on the list. But I want to challenge you that true charity, love in action, love that reaches out and touches someone else is no good unless it's bound by all of these things that preceded in the list. You say, what's the point, Pastor? The point's this. No matter how much you remember what's in the Word of God, you will never measure You say, what's so encouraging about that? It's not about you. It's about him. Amen? That's what's encouraging, number one. And number two, I don't have time to go looking for something new because I'm still trying to get a hold of what I got. Amen? Every once in a while, somebody will call on the phone and they'll get through the... Uh, get through and they'll say, Pastor, we've got this new program for your church that will help you. And they go on and on. I said, thank you very much. I don't want anything new. But you don't understand. No, you don't understand. I'm still struggling with what I got. I'm not going to add to the burden. Amen. Bye. Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, I know what the Bible says. I've studied it my whole life. It's established. It's part of who and what I am. But Peter says, you still need to be reminded of what's in the Scriptures. Because when I get reminded of what's in the Scriptures, what's the first thing I see? I see God way up there. And I see me way down here. In fact, my arms really can't stretch that far. But you got the point. And if I'm trusting in a God that's way up here and understanding that I'm way down here, what does that bring? One of the greatest words in all languages. Humility. God giveth grace to the humble. But what's he do to the proud? He resists them. If I don't get into this book and remember it, I'm going to lose my vision of God. In fact, I'll fill my vision with me. And most of us will not admit it, but we really like ourselves. 
Not going to admit it this morning. Don't lie in church. We pretend we don't. But if you ever met somebody who says, well, I'm really, I'm really a terrible person. I, I don't measure up. I wish I could be like that. And then they put somebody's name in there. That's just backwards pride. That's just trying to get that person to tell you, oh, you're not that bad. Yeah, tell me more. Yeah, okay. Oh, I love it. Now, we're not that overt because we would betray ourselves. But the Bible tells us that there's something in ourselves that love ourselves. And that we have to discipline ourselves to turn that affection from ourselves to God. And we know this, nothing new. But we need to be reminded of this because we have all these things to add to our faith if we would never fall. And I'll dare say, my name's at the top of the list. We've got a lot of improving to do before we get to verse 11. And Peter says, you're never going to get to verse 11 until God brings you home. And so let's get this proper attitude. Let's put in ourselves in remembrance here. Let's not go looking off for something new. Let's get a hold of what we got. And that doesn't mean that you can't have a computer and you can't drive a car. You know, it's interesting how people, they want to define everything by a certain date and time. The Amish people, their clothing and their farm implements and all of that are dated about the 1820s, if you're a purist. Well, did it ever occur to anyone that what was in 1820 was new to the people that lived in 1720? I mean, Islamic dress is connected to about the year 600 in the Middle East. Uh, excuse me, people lived before 600? And that's your problem with drawing the date. It's an arbitrary line that you put in there. God does not put an arbitrary line. He puts life-changing principles that need to be lived and can and should be lived in any age under any set of circumstances. When has virtue ever ceased being virtue? Amen? What was virtuous in the Garden of Eden? Obedience to God's Word is still virtuous today temperance self-control oh my could we not use if you could take temperance and put it in a serum that you could inject it in the arm of a person you'd be the richest man in the history of the world would you not but you know what God didn't make it that way he made temperance to be something that you have to depend on him for and so we need to be reminded. That's what Peter's saying here. Even though you know this, 
remember, hey, it's our birthday. Let's remember as a church all of these things. And let's remember that no matter what has been accomplished, we're never going to measure up, so let's just keep serving Him today. Let's serve Him tomorrow. By the way, I thought it was pretty cool. This is our church's birthday, and what are we getting ready to do? Give birth, amen, to a new church in Brooklyn. Lord willing, two weeks. We'll have their first service. You know what? They're going to start doing exactly the same things we did 21 years ago. And by God's grace, 21 years from now, we'll still be serving God the same way because we're going to remind ourselves of what is already we know, what has been established. We don't need to redig the foundation. We need to let Jesus build on it. Amen? Now look at verse 13. Yes, yea, I'm sorry. Yea, I think it meet, it proper, fitting, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You know, that idea of getting stirred up is, again, one of those things that we kind of lose. We get familiar. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think of the miracles that God has done to put us right where we are. I think of what the Lord has done over the years. I think of the miracles that he's done in individual lives. You know what? We need to remember those things. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to stir us up. How many of you were here when we were $150,000 short in our building payment? There weren't that many. They remember those days. And I'll tell you what. I knew God was going to do something, but I had no idea what it was. It was brother Bob Mack, my brother-in-law, missionary to Ivory Coast, was here, and he says, you need to call Brother Chaot. And I said, but he's already given us so much money. He says, you need to call him. I said, well, let's pray, and we'll call. And so I prayed, and it was like the week before Christmas, and I'm going, this is just really stupid, calling this guy a week before Christmas, needing all this money, more money than he had ever given us in the past, and... And uh, so I, I just called, the, dialed the number, and guess who picked up the phone? Ward Gaia. Hey, how you doing, Brother Montoro? Wanted to know how things were. I said, well, we're a little short on our payment this year. He says, how short? I said, $150,000. Oh, really? Well, we'll be praying about it. Click. He hung up. I was going, wow, that was a great conversation. Okay, we got a lot accomplished. Sends me an email a week later. It says, checks in the mail, hope it helps. Now, what's that supposed to mean, my friend? How many of you know how much the check was for? 
The check was for $150,000. Can I tell you something? It helped. (laughs) You know, I can't tell. I I was ready to call the 114th and say, can I get an armed escort to take this check to the bank? And and then I realized it was just a check. And so I just carried it in and handed it to the teller. And she gulped. And, and, uh, of course, it took 10 days for the check to clear. And I called the rabbi who was over the sale of the building. And I said, don't worry anymore. We had another miracle on 35th Street. As soon as the check clears, you're going to have all your money. And I could hear him on the other end going, rats. Because he thought he was going to get this building back and all those payments. But let me tell you something. There were some dark days before the check showed up. I love telling the story now. It wasn't so much fun living it then. You know why? It's because... My eyes were on all the bad things that could happen instead of on the God who's done so many miracles. I've had preachers, Brother Montour, you have such great faith. No, I don't. I was there. I have such a great God. And the Bible says that we need to remember these things and be stirred up by them. I think of the days, praise God, this only happened two Sundays in the history of our church. Early on, we just had one service on Sunday morning, very similar to what the Newburgers are going to be doing. And so during the preaching time, my wife would teach Sunday school to the little children, which happened to be ours, by the way. And two Sundays, she took the Sunday school out, and guess who was there? It was just me. So I did what every good preacher ought to do. I gave the invitation and started there. Amen. I figured I needed it. But praise God, it didn't stay that way. I remember struggling and pleading with people to give to missions. And nobody would do hardly anything. Just a few dollars here and a few dollars there. not that way anymore it's not that we have so much money we don't know what to do with we'll never be there if you gave me a million dollars for missions I could give it away tomorrow in fact I could promise it all today before the service was over but the Lord hasn't chosen to do that I remember my pastor brother Thompson said One time he was just confiding and we were talking and he said, you know, I prayed to God for that he would give me a million dollars for missions. He says, and it never happened. He said, then I started to think about what our church was doing. He said, we were giving $300,000 to missions every year. He said, I guess God did answer my prayer, didn't he? And believe it or not, our church is closing in 
on a million dollars given to missions. That's money that has not stayed here at all. We, we've, got, we're, we've got about $150,000 to go to hit the million mark, and it looks like we're going to get $100,000 to missions this year alone. So next year, we're going to easily go over that mark if God continues blessing us. Let me tell you something. You know what our missions giving our first year was? 1993 uh, calendar year was about $1,600. This year it's going to be 100000 We need to remember those things. And by the way, we don't have any rich people in this church that are given gazillions of bucks. It's individuals giving what God has laid upon their heart. And it is wonderful in our eyes. Amen? Peter says you need to remember some of these things and allow your heart to be stirred. I want to be a part of what's going on at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Not only because I'm the pastor. I don't take credit for it. People say, well, what do you do with missions? I said, our people decide on missions. I mean, we go through a filtering process. We don't just give money to anybody who walks down uh, in the door or calls on the phone. We want them to be in agreement with us doctrinally and all of these things. But I'll tell you what, I praise the Lord for what he's done. We need to remember these things and allow ourselves to be stirred the fact that God is still working through the ministry of this church. I mean, I wish we had somebody walk down the aisle every week and get saved. You know what? We don't have a lot of people walk down the aisle and get saved. It takes a lot of work for the Holy Spirit to change a soul. Many times people will come for weeks, months, even longer before the Holy Spirit does that work in their life and they'll finally come into the office and say, Pastor, I think I'm ready to be saved. I'll tell you what, I rejoice every time. It doesn't always happen the way people write about it in books. But I can remember the first service we had in this building. We had about 60 people here and half of those were visitors. We only had about 40 regular people in our church. I'll tell you what. God's doing some good things. Let's, let's remember that it used to be 5 or 10. Now it's 105 or 10. Amen? Let, the God, let God stir our hearts. Why? so that we can reach forward to what he's going to do. One more. He says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Now, Peter was writing this letter, and he said, Listen, God has told me to... to to remind you of these things because you know them and established in them 
That doesn't mean that you're always going to have them. You've got to remember them. You've got to go over them. He said, I'm, I'm going to die here fairly soon. The Lord has explained and told Peter how he was going to die. And uh, Peter understood it. Jesus understood it. But I'll tell you what, I don't understand what Jesus was saying. Somebody said, well, Peter was crucified. That's not what Jesus said. He said, there's going to come a day when another man girds you and takes you where you wouldn't want to go. I have no idea what that means. But Peter said, listen, it's coming. I'm going to put off this tabernacle. But I want you to know after I'm gone, I want you to always have these things in remembrance. Now, look with me in verse 16, and we're not going to cover this whole passage this morning, but that little word for connects what's in these verses with the reason why Peter wants them to have all of these things in remembrance. Now, verses 16 through 21 is one of the simplest and most complete treatises on the issue of the authority of God's Word in your entire Bible. Peter covers that subject thoroughly here. You see, there's an awful lot of things that go on. And people remember them and they celebrate them. And they really weren't that good. Sometimes people remember and celebrate things that weren't even true. I mean, where did the Easter Bunny come from? I don't mean to pop your bubble, but where did Santa Claus come from? I mean, sorry, but these things just aren't true. They never happened. But people remember them and they celebrate them, do they not? Spend gazillions of bucks on them. By the way, Halloween's coming up. And I hope and pray you don't spend a penny on that holiday. But the simple truth of the matter is, Peter's saying, listen, I want you to always remember these things because they really happened. They are truth. Several years ago, a judge retired from the bench. Not sure what state he was in. Somewhere up here in the Northeast. I wish I remembered all these names, but the simple thing was he retired, and in his retirement, he had promised himself that he was going to accomplish one thing. He was going to weigh the evidence that was in the Bible and he was going to examine the biblical record and he was going to break it down as he had done so many times in his courtroom and he was going to use the laws of evidence to prove that the Bible was false. This was his goal in his retirement. Do you know what his statement was after several years of work? He said, according to the laws of evidence, the biblical record 
must be true. And he stopped being a doubter and became a Christian. Wrote a book about it. And not too many people were impressed. You know why? Because if this book is true, and it is, my friend, then there's an awful lot of stuff out there that's lies. If you believe in, in creation, we'd have to write, rewrite all the scientific textbooks that were ever written. No, not all of them, just the new ones. Just the last 50, 80 years. I mean, the simple truth is evolution isn't science. You can't put a whole bunch of chemicals in a pot and zap it with a lightning bolt and get a living thing in the pot. I said, but... But don't you remember the experiments in a biogenesis in 1950s that, that set the whole base for everything? Yeah, they were conducted in a methane atmosphere which doesn't exist on planet Earth. Might have worked on Saturn's moon if there was a methane atmosphere, which there isn't. And if the temperature wasn't 250 degrees below zero, uh, it might actually have worked. Let me tell you something. Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This book called the Bible is true. In every verifiable measure that you can test against things recorded in this Bible, it proves itself true. But you will never accept it as truth because of the proof that is out there. That's one of the mistakes of some of the modern Christians is, oh, if we could only... Uh, defeat the evolution. No, it takes more faith to be an evolutionist than it does to be a creationist, my friend. It takes a tremendous more amount of faith. And the reason why evolutionists won't be stop being evolutionists is because we don't uh, we don't attack their faith. We attack their facts, and facts and faith sometimes don't mix. People will believe things through faith that just simply aren't true. But see, my faith in this book called the Bible is bound in truth. I can verify things in this Bible that men have denied for centuries. Around the beginning of the 1900s, German rationalism, a movement that uh, raised itself and to deny everything that was miraculous or God-given about the book of the Bible. Uh, they were many of the earliest proponents of this evolutionary theory because it gave them a place to develop a, a world system that had no God in it. And... 
They worked and they worked and they denied and they denied until they had a Bible that was just a storybook. And you want people to believe that. But here's where faith is. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are living a life that has been personally changed by the Savior that is talked about in this book? Would you give a testimony to that fact? That Jesus has saved you. He has changed the way you live. You see... I don't come to this book to prove that it's true. I come to this book because it is true. I come to this book, and I can compare any other book to it. I had a guy once come in, and he says, there are no more beautiful book than the Quran. The Bible is nothing compared to the Quran. He said, Really? I said, how come when we have a funeral, everybody and their brother prints the 23rd Psalm on the funeral cards? He said, huh? I said, you know what? I've never been to a funeral. I've never been to a place that offers me passages out of the Quran to print on my funeral home prayer cards, unless it's an Islamic funeral home. You are the only people that print it on there. Nobody else does. I said, people who have never been in the door of a church in their whole life will go to this book and print parts of it because it comforts them. Let me tell you something. This book is true. And I need to remember what's in the book. No moral system invented by mankind, no other religion. It's amazing. It was Gandhi who said that the moral principles that Jesus taught were the highest that was ever taught in human history. Then he said... I'd become a Christian if it weren't for people who called themselves Christians. Are you going to let a hypocrite be your excuse for missing heaven? I'm not. I mean, people lie about it. What don't people lie about? Does the fact that people lie about what's in the Bible change what's in the Bible? No, I need to remember what's in the Bible, not what some person said might be there. You see, Peter says, listen, I want you to remember, even though you know these things, your life is built on these things, you need to be reminded because you need to understand that God is way up here and you're down here and you're never going to get up there until God takes you to heaven to be with him. So you better get busy doing the things that are in the Bible. He says, I want to stir you up by remembering the great things that God has done. Now, I've just given a few stories of what God has done right here at this church. That's just a couple little things. 
How many of you have read the great things that God's done in this book? Uh, we need to remember that the God who said, let there be light, is the same God who said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He said so through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And, and we need to remember these things. Because they're true. Just one quick illustration. You can pick up history books about American history today that would make the founding fathers of this country a bunch of alcoholic businessmen who were only worried about their bottom lines and that's why they fought the revolution. I mean, that's what they're teaching in colleges today. That's what the History Channel teaches. Um, could I challenge you that that's just not so? That George Washington did what he did not because he would be profited by it. In fact, he had to borrow money to come to New York City so he could be inaugurated as the first president because he didn't want to sully the office of the president of the United States by not showing up as formally and as properly as he thought he should. And what he was talking about was not elegance, but just a proper carriage and driver and people to uh, attend him to show that he was a man of position. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, we've degenerated to the day was, hey, George, how you doing? I mean, what, what has happened? I'll tell you what's happened. We, we don't remember our history. And we've not allowed our hearts to be stirred by the picture of George Washington, who was the general of the Continental Army, going out in the woods, in the trackless wilderness, to find a place alone that he could get down on his knees in the snow and implore God for the safety of his men and wisdom to make decisions. And by the way, that didn't happen in five minutes of prayer, my friend. There are multiplied stories tell how that once he was a guest, unknown by the people who uh, owned the house, and he was traveling incognito, we might say, and uh, the owner of the house asked him to join them for prayers, and he joined them for Bible reading and prayers before they turned in. And then the uh, father, the owner of the house, said he happened to walk by the room, and he said he could hear him praying well into the night, pleading with the God of heaven to give them safety and to give wisdom to make decisions. He said, it was then I figured out that our guest probably was General Washington. I'll tell you what, you need to allow some things to stir your heart. But you know what? We've forgotten what's true anymore. That's what's wrong with our country. We just don't remember the truth. You know, there's a little truth out there 
that you cannot spend more money than you have. Only the government gets away with it. <laughs> but they're not going to get away with it forever. It's just a little truth, but you know what? We forgot about it. And that's one of the reasons why we're in the mess. We've forgotten that character matters. That a man's personal morality determines a whole lot about him. And you know what? Churches have done the same thing. And that's why they're not churches anymore. They're just buildings where people assemble. That's what the Pharisees had done. And I want to challenge you. Guess what? We know them and are established in them. Amen? And I hope your hearts have been stirred a little bit by the stories of some of the miracles that God has done. And if that wasn't enough, let me meet you after church and I'll give you stories until the evening service of miracles that God has done just for this little church to be here. But I want to tell you something. If you don't know that this is true, you're in big trouble. You're going to move. And where you're moving to is not going to be a good place. My friends, this is God's word. It doesn't contain it, it is. Let God's word stir you up and remember, never ever get tired of what is true. That's why Paul said, don't be weary in well-doing. Why? Because well-doing is just obeying the truth, amen? And if you keep doing that, you're going to remember. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us not to become so familiar with things that we ignore the truth that's there. Lord, that we would allow ourselves to be stirred. But most of all, Lord, we would know that your words are the very truth of truths. That there is no error in your words. And Lord, if your word is true, then we have a responsibility to the giver of truth to obey it. I would ask you to challenge us once again, to remind us once again, what it means to use the term Christian. Lord, that you would remind us the sacrifices that have been made so that we can be free. Lord, I ask you that you would make this church a place where the truth is lifted high so that all may see what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, come lead us in the hymn 301. Only